Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome back my guest today, Robin O'Brien, who's been on the show before. She really is a woman I admire greatly. She has been called the Erin Brockovich of the food industry, but Robin is her own woman, even though I'm sure that's a, an honor to be compared to Erin Brockovich. She was a food industry analyst. As she'll describe it, she grew up in a conservative Texas family and then got woke when her daughter anaphylaxed as a result of food dye in a yogurt that she was eating when she was a little girl. Robin happened to have that sixth sense mama instinct and go up and check on her daughter when she was asleep and found that she wasn't breathing. They emergencyed, uh, rushed to the hospital and were able to resuscitate and she's fine. But it turned Robin into a fierce but loving, uh, incredible food advocate Robin has been instrumental in changing the face of the food industry for us. She is out there as a crusader, meeting up with heads of companies that you and I, I know, would like to see make changes. And she has been behind significant changes that then appear on our foods and our shelves. She has put the anti-GMO movement on the map, and she was the mama who was in the news and outspoken behind the Mylan controversy last year when the most life-saving needed medication for kids with food allergies, epinephrine, was being jacked up to prices where women were having to make, moms and dads, parents were having to make choices between major needs in their personal life and whether they could get this life-saving medication for their kids. And there was all kinds of just awfulness happening with company executives making big bucks while these medications were becoming just inaccessible. So Robin's work is so far reaching and so impressive that I've never done this before, but I've actually put her bio on this page as something you can link over to and read because she just really is incredible. And I think she's such an example for so many of us as women and moms. And one of the things that I really just love so much about Robin is that as fierce as she is and as smart as she is, as intense and bulldogged as she is, she has made a commitment in her life to do that in the spirit of the work of Martin Luther King with Satyagraha, truth with love. So her message is at once fierce, but always welcoming, always tolerant, and always filled with love. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming my guest and friend, Robin O'Brien. Fact, over 77% of students have been bullied verbally, mentally, and physical. Fact, each day about 160,000 students miss school because of bullying or because of their fear of being bullied. Fact, the sad fact is that every seven minutes a child is bullied on the playground. These facts are from an article from my dear friend and one of my most respected colleagues, Robin O'Brien. And I have Robin with me today to talk about something that is close to both of our hearts because 
we both experienced bullying as kids, but our focus today is a special kind of bullying that is happening and shocking. And I actually first read about it on Robin's Facebook page. We're Facebook friends. And this was some months ago and a a young elementary age student had been food bullied. And this was a child with a food allergy. And as a result of the food contact, this child died of anaphylaxis. It brought me to tears. I immediately wrote Robin and Robin was like, yes, let's talk about this. So Robin, thank you so much for joining me today on what I know is a personal issue for you as a mom of a child with a food allergy, as a food advocate and activist. And you and I both know the consequences of bullying personally. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we we really do have an epidemic in our country when it comes to bullying. We're seeing it online with cyberbullying. And unfortunately, we're not just seeing it in kids. I think with the anonymity that the internet provides, um, it provides a platform for a very aggressive bullying that you and I, you know, didn't have to deal with when we were kids. And you think about, you know, if, if, if there was a bully at school, everybody knew who they were. They had a face and a name. And now with the anonymity that the internet provides, um, it can be absolutely wicked. And we see it run across across so many different platforms. You know, Monica Lewinsky gave a TED Talk, and she was really the first to experience that kind of aggressive online bullying. And from there, you know, it, it rolls out politically. We see bullying that's happening all the time now. And, of course, we see it in our kids. And then you do see this very acute, very dangerous bullying that's occurring at the grade school level for children with food allergies. So what our listeners might not know is that there are the acute consequences of bullying, which we've seen with cyberbullying have actually led to suicides. I mean, this has been such a huge problem for young women, young men. And, you know, you talk about this viciousness. I think that what we've also seen is this viciousness of people saying things that they wouldn't say to someone in person. There's this this sort of like unleashed torrent with the anonymity. But also bullying has been found to have lifelong consequences. So not only do children experience those immediate consequences in young adults, but it can lead to depression, anxiety, social isolation, and higher risk of suicide later. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's toxic. And if it's not addressed, and it's not unpacked out of a child, it it can be as vicious as any kind of cancer. And it's insidiousness, the way it can literally um, destroy a kid from the inside out. We, you know, we had our kids at a middle school that we ended up switching them out of because the culture, the, the bullying culture in the school was a hardcore academic school. It got so aggressive and the administration really didn't want to publicly acknowledge that there was a problem. And we ended up pulling the kids from the school because I thought, you know, in middle school, so much is going on. There's so much developmentally that's going on. And we were just hearing too many stories of too many children. And to me, you know, that, that, that developmental stage is so fragile anyway. Our kids need as much support as they can get anyway. And they also, I think, need leadership by example and to know that they can trust adults. I think um, the, world, the world's got a lot going on. And, you know, my hope is that home is always a place the kids can come no matter how old they are, when, when they're hurt or when they are disappointed or when something has happened, as horrific as it may be, I hope that home is always a safe place that they can come to heal. And I think for so many of us, you know, we're navigating this in real time. And we see it. I mean, it's happening across 
so many different platforms. Um, the Me Too campaign that we've just witnessed with the sexual harassment and the assault, you know, from some of these power players across these different industries, in it, in and of itself, that is that sexual bullying. And so, you know, again, our ability to say it's not okay, we've got to call it out, we've got to create platforms and places where people feel comfortable coming in reporting that. And I think especially in schools. Um, to really sort of lead with it, to bring it to the conversation, you know, not only for the kids, but also for the parents so that you can see and recognize and identify the signs of depression or or other symptoms that may present when your child is being bullied at school. Because a lot of times, you know, we, we've seen, you know, as we've worked through these different school systems with four children, that a lot of times the kids don't say anything. Well, and there's, then it's, it's there's not- so much shame associated with it, right? Because... So many kids there at the age where they don't even know if it is something they're doing or not doing. And so they internalize it and they clamp down and shut down. It's, they just go so far inside themselves. It's so sad. It is. And I think, um, you know, unfortunately, I mean, the statistics are skyrocketing. And I think the insecurity, um, the instability, you know, the world is, the world's always been a volatile place, but I think with the, with social media, our kids are seeing it in a way that we didn't see it as kids. You know, you think about our parents had the nightly news on. And I mean, when we walked into my parents' room, they turned the TV off and we didn't see what was going on. And, you know, in a way that there was, the, there was just a, a blissful ignorance in childhood that isn't there anymore. I mean, we have this 24 seven news cycle. We're jumping from one trauma to the next, whether it's something to do with an earthquake or a flood or climate change or politically, you know, there's just, there's, it's a perpetual trauma cycle. And I think in that there creates this anxiety that then if the kids don't know how to talk about it, it presents in these really aggressive behavioral ways. Well, also, I think, you know, you mentioned this perpetual news cycle when we were kids, if something happened, it stayed really local. You know, you knew who your class bully was. You probably knew who the hallway bully was. You knew who the school bully was. But it wasn't like every neighborhood in your community found out what was happening to you. And now the, the you know, the I told two friends and they told two friends is instantaneous. And so a thousand or a million, you know, you know 10,000 people can be looking at some embarrassing video that someone took of you or hear something about you. And uh, I think it can feel for kids, you know, for kids, it can already feel like everyone's looking at them, but now they really are experiencing a situation where everyone is looking at them and there's nowhere to hide from that. And it lives forever. It's so hard to get away from it. You know, I think it does. And I think, you know, what we're starting to see are brands like Burger King, I mean, out of the blue came up with this anti-bullying PSA that is absolutely phenomenal. And I never thought I would say that about Burger King. You know, but there obviously there's a sensitivity and an awareness at all levels within that organization, from the advertising agencies to the marketing executives inside the company. And again, the reason there's probably that level of awareness is because we all have kids. And so we see what's happening and we see how people can be mocked both online through Snapchat, Instagram, whatever, and then also what's happening in the classrooms or in the schools. And I do think that there's an opportunity to really educate. And I think, you know, to sort of bring speakers in, show short films, show these anti-bullying public service announcements so that kids know that it is happening. I don't want it to be, you know, something that they feel that they've been given permission to do it because it's so pervasive. But if children understand how pervasive it is, maybe they won't feel as stigmatized by it in coming forward. Um, You know, you do, you see these kids that just internalize it. And 
suddenly stop wanting to go to school and it's not until you dig really deep and unpack it, you understand what's, what's been happening. And, and it does take on a very different form, I think, with social media. So let's talk about some of the symptoms of bullying that we might see in our kids in general before we flip the script and start talking more about the food allergy bullying, because that's its own unique and uh, very acutely dangerous situation. So we talked about depression, certainly anxiety, kids who suddenly have somatic complaints, they have headaches or stomach aches, and they just don't want to go to school. What are some of the other things that you um, have been seeing in your research that might alert a parent to their child is being bullied. Right. So, you know, I mean, I think in the food allergy space, you know, that that's where I really started first paying attention to this. And that was over a decade ago. And then with four kids going through school, uh, the book Queen Bees and Wannabes, you know, was really an eye opener. And I think, I mean, the, the signs can be similar to depression, quite honestly, with a child whose personality and energy levels just tank, whose appetite absolutely tanks who resists and and flat out refuses to go to school, you know, to really, and I think as parents, the best thing that we can be doing is, I mean, you know, in a perfect world, yeah, we're totally in touch with everything our kids are doing, but life is busy and crazy and everybody's going nonstop. But I think to ask those questions, you know, is there anybody, is there anything going on at school? You know, who are the bullies? I think just by simply asking that question, given how pervasive this has become in our culture, who are the bullies to give the children the opportunity to talk and, and then to ask, you know, do you see bullying in the lunchroom at school? Do you, where do you see bullying? Is it in PE class? You know, we saw it in PE class as kids and just share, you know, I think to share those experiences. And I also think as parents, they think we're completely archaic and for us to be able to um, share that this has been around for a long time. I mean, I know in my work with the kids, what I see online, the anonymity, aggressiveness of some of the comments. And I'm like, look, you know, this, this person isn't even brave enough to use their real name or use their real picture. So am I going to let them have any power over me? That would be crazy. You know, they have no courage. And so, again, I think as parents to show what we deal with so that we can help them develop the coping mechanisms and tools to deal with it. Because, I mean, sadly, it's not just in kids. Absolutely not. And it's not always in the kids who we might sort of classically from like the uh, the Walt Disney home family movie scenario that we would think would get bullied. It's not necessarily the kid that looks different or the kid that weighs something different. It's Sometimes it is a kid who is high achieving or a kid who is high performing. It can be really strange targets. It's not something obvious all the time. And Sometimes it's been found out that the kid who seems like the really nice kid and the really nice student is the one doing the bullying. So it can be really complicated to sort out who's the the victim and the perpetrator. And often we know that perpetrators are victims in other circumstances. They might be experiencing abuse or challenges at home. So there's that complexity for parents to be aware of. So let's talk about what's going on with this food allergy bullying, because this is a unique uh, and somewhat, I think, newer phenomenon, or at least to me, it's a newer phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. And the timing of this is actually pretty incredible, Aviva, because just today, a bunch of food allergy advocates came together to launch the website, noappetiteforbullying.com. And it's a, it's a voice against food allergy bullying. And again, you know, when you really realize like how pervasive this has become in 
and and how extreme this can actually be for children who have who have life threatening food allergies. It is something that that has to be talked about. And again, I think I'm a big believer in once we know better, we can do better. And I think the food allergy epidemic has come on so hard and so fast that for children, you know, they may see a certain child being privileged or called out, getting special treatment in class, you know, in order to accommodate this life-threatening situation. And that may create, you know, different feelings of jealousy or, or something else in these other children. So to have that conversation, you know, um, it does put an additional responsibility on the school and on the teacher, but parents can also step in and play a role too. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of good is done when the parent of the child with food allergies comes forward and says, listen, I know this is hard. I know that this is not something you guys would choose as parents of, you know, children in my kid's class. Believe me, it's not something I would choose to have a child with a life-threatening food allergy. Nobody would choose this. And I think if you start there, people don't feel like it's shoved down their throat. And I, you know, I do see, you do see even adults, you know, get into these conversations around the food allergy epidemic. And I can't believe I can't bring a peanut butter and jelly into the classroom or, you know, these, these conversations. And in most cases, the kids, the kids do understand, you know, they don't want to take a PB&J because they don't want to accidentally send their friend to the emergency room. Yeah, actually, my uh, my four year old my, when my granddaughter was four years old, I picked her up from preschool one day and I asked her what she had for lunch that day, and she said she'd had noodles or something. And she said, "I wish I could have had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, Bebop. That's what she calls me, but I can't because some of my friends in my class will get really sick, and I don't want to make them really sick." Like she had that awareness even as a four year old, which to me just says so much about the level of the problem that four year olds are aware of food allergies, but that she did have well, this really incredible I think, sensitivity. I, I think I think for younger children, it's their normal. I mean, it is normal for them to have kids in their class with peanut allergies. They've never known anything else. For people that are slightly older, for those in the workplace, you know, it sort of got sprung on them. This epidemic hit really hard and fast and all of a sudden you're telling me what? I can't do what? You know? And that's, that's the, the challenging, I think that's the more challenging demographic right now. Truly, I think for younger, like preschool age kids, it's all they've ever known. And, you know, you go into those preschools and there's a shelf of epinephrine. And so they get it, you know, and I do think as we raise the next generation of kids and we have these rates of, you know, diabetes and food allergies and all these different conditions, they're so mindful that that everybody is dealing with something or if they're not, you know, they've got a sibling that is. And so, you know, I mean, you and I talk about this a lot. It's generation RX. And so there's a deep awareness in that. And I think the silver lining is that there's a compassion in these kids. And, and I do think a maturity in some of them, you know, especially the kids that have to manage these conditions like food allergies, they have to grow up really fast. They have to learn how to be responsible for their lives at a young age, you know, when most of us are just out on our two wheels, you know? And so it's, it, you know, it is changing. And, and again, with the, the statistics and the rates of food allergies going up as fast as they are, you know, I sort of, I sort of see a shift every probably five years and you see it in the, the conversations in the mothers, you see it obviously in the attitudes of these kids. And, you know, it does speak to an understanding that is growing and awareness that's growing. You know, you think back to 10 years ago, I mean, there were just a couple stories on food allergies that were in the media probably every year. And now um, the, with the number of children, sadly, that have died 
with the way that this epidemic is affecting everything from the airline industry to schools. You know, we really are having these conversations. And with that education, you know, there's power in the knowledge. So for those of you who are listening and haven't heard me speak with Robin before, I have a podcast with Robin from a little over a year ago, I think, or or so. And Robin shares her story. Robin has a background as a food industry analyst, but kind of got woke about what was really in our food when her own daughter had an anaphylactic food reaction. And we we talk about that in the other episode. And um, so I won't pull you into that whole story, Robin, today, because our listeners I know are going to want to hear that very intense and very powerful story. For you as a mom, your kids are a bit older now. Your youngest is how old now? My youngest is almost 13, you know, and it's the middle, she's in the middle school years. And so, you know, now that she's our fourth child going through, I'm so aware of what to look for in a way that, you know, you learn how to parent on your oldest child. And I think back to what I missed or what took me a while to catch with our oldest, you know, now with our youngest, you just, your eyes are wide open to to what can happen, especially in the school years. So can you share with us maybe a couple of the, you don't have to go into every detail, but a couple of the more poignant um, stories you've heard. I know there was a story you posted earlier in the year that got us started on the conversation with each other and the road to doing this episode together about a child who actually was taunted with a food and anaphylaxed at school and, and died. Can you share a little bit about what happened there and what we're seeing in terms of how kids are getting taunted and what the risks are for kids? Apparently that story was out of the UK and it was a little boy that was, that was bullied in the, in the lunchroom with peanuts. And again, I don't, I, I, I mean, I, I know when I first was learning about food allergies, the concept that food could kill a child was very foreign, you know, especially when we all grew up eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so it's like, oh my gosh, can food really kill somebody? And I think for a brain that hasn't fully developed, and you know better than anybody, the brain develops from the back to the front and the, the frontal lobe, those are the brakes. Those are, those are the, the sort of the bumper rails that keep us from doing harm to ourselves or to others. And, you know, a kid doesn't have them yet. They don't have the brakes. And so I don't think that, you know, and it's just tragic on all levels because you, you lose one child and then another child lives out the rest of their life having killed a child. And I don't think that they may not entirely understand the severity of it. And again, because of the novelty of this condition, there is such a need to educate. And so that was, that was one case it was in the UK, but even closer to home, you know, a friend that I grew up with in Houston, a high school friend, she reached out and she said, can you say something? Can you do something? My daughter is being bullied at school with peanuts. And so, you know, that's when I realized this is, this is very close to home. And again, I think this is it's very hard for parents because they don't want to be the squeaky wheel all the time. They don't want to be known as that mom that is always saying, you know, oh my, you know, my child with food allergies deserves special treatment. That's not what they're saying. And they would trade everything to be able to hand that condition back and not have a child with food allergies. And I think that's what's probably one of the most important things to remember is no one would choose this condition. No one would choose it. To live every day concerned about, you know, whether or not there's a nut protein and a treatment at the dentist's office, whether or not, you know, there's something that could be in a medicine your child is taking. I mean, you have to think through it, not just from the food they're putting in the mouth, but 
literally everything that a kid comes in contact with. And I think the, to me, the bullying, the food allergy bullying to me is, is a lack of understanding and a lack of maturity in these kids. And I think this campaign to really, to really shine a light on it is so critically important. And then for parents to really um, find allies that are non-food allergy parents, I think that's also critically important. And what can educators do? I mean, you mentioned that some of partly what's happening is, and this is partly, I think, sometimes why kids who are very high achievers in a classroom might end up becoming the targets of bullying, for example, is because they are called out. They're given some level of special attention. So what can educators do, for example, to mitigate the problem? Is there a way they can shine less attention on these kids so that they're not becoming that target in classrooms. What are what do we need to have educators understand? You know, that's a really good question because on the one hand, the kids just totally want to be normal. They don't want to be um, they don't want to be labeled as different. I mean, what kid wants to be labeled as different? You know, and so definitely, sort of the how, how do you how do you try to normalize it without minimizing the risk? And I think that's the challenge. I mean, you and I have had conversations about childhood nutrition and the food supply and everything else. And you really got to step back and say, okay, do we need to have as much food in the classrooms as we're having? How can we minimize, how can we minimize these risk points? And, you know, how can we help protect the health of all kids? And I think food in classrooms has, has become so pervasive. And just, you know, in the years when ours were little in elementary school, it was really fascinating to watch the shift from you know, all kinds of anything going into those classrooms to really all parents trying to make an effort to bring healthier snacks. And then the teachers finally saying, you know, we don't want our kids to have juice at snack time, water's fine. And I think it really is a collaboration between parents and teachers to come up with what's best for the classroom. And, you know, we saw it. I mean, the, when, the, when, the, when the teachers finally said, we don't want juice in the classrooms, and that's huge, you know? And then when they said, for snack time, we don't want cookies. You know, I mean, there were just little things that they could do to put in place to create a healthier environment. And, you know, very few kids are going to have an allergic reaction to something like carrots. And so there, there really are ways that by putting these systems in place, it, it actually it creates a healthy environment for all the kids in the classroom. And I think, you know, there's an understanding and there's an effort in place for that now that, um, is a lot more accepted, a lot more universal. Parents really do realize, you know, we are just up against a lot when it comes to protecting the health of our kids. And the more that we can collaborate and do it together, the better. So Robin, you mentioned kids with food allergies. And really, I think all kids now are just having to grow up so much faster than there's just not really childhood in this culture as much as there was when we were kids. As a mom of a child with food allergies, I'm sure you had to straddle that line of, and probably continue to, of helping your child be aware and safe without making her frightened, help her be aware of her own needs without making her different. What are some of the things that you have done as a mom to safeguard your child, but not make her, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, special or not make her so different or not make her scared? And what guidance might you give to parents who are have younger kids and are first facing these issues? So I, I, I truly, truly believe that food allergies have a silver lining and that as a family, since my youngest child's diagnosis, we eat 
so much healthier than we would have if she had never been diagnosed. It forced us off of the fake food and into real food. And it was just literally a matter of, I know what's in this and I'm not sure what's in that box. So I'm going to go with, with what I know. And so for us, the silver lining is that we got way healthier as a family because we just couldn't eat processed food and, and junk food the same way. And we all know that, you know, the kids all know that. They know that Corey's food allergy diagnosis helped us figure out some other stuff in her brothers. And so we've all really felt that it was, it was a blessing in disguise as hard as it's been sometimes. You know, that being said, the child doesn't forget the allergic reactions. And the really cute ones that she has had are both terrifying and absolutely miserable. And so they're not stupid and nobody wants to hurt. And so she knows, like, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to have all this, you know, scary stuff happen. And so um, they really, they really, to make, to help them be their own advocate um, is, is great. And I think when they're little, it's teaching them how to ask questions and tell people what they have, you know, once they can lead it's sort of like another layer of protection where she can flip over the side of the ice cream carton and look for nuts and see if it's in there. But, you know, again, you have, you have to raise your children with a responsibility that, that, that children that don't have this condition don't, don't have. And it does make them grow up and mature a lot faster. But again, you know, it's the estimates now are like two kids in every classroom. And there's always an ally. And I think that probably that's one of the most important messages is that you're never alone in this. And that, you know, mom and dad are going to work with the school or we're going to talk to the lunch program or, you know, we're going to find out what other kids in your classroom. Does it always feel like there's a buddy system in place and that they don't have to go it alone? And uh, looking at the um, No Appetite for Bullying website you shared with me, Robin, which is really powerful. There seems to be a really big discrepancy between the parents of kids with food allergies who are recognizing that food allergy bully is happening and the parents of children who don't have food allergies who don't think the food allergy bully is happening. So this buddy system seems like it needs to happen with the parents too. There needs to be some really clear parent education so that parents of children who don't have food allergies can actually explain to these children who don't have executive function full control yet that this can really be a life-threatening medical problem, that, it, that it's explaining it in a compassionate way, not a stigmatized way. Tell me how you think maybe that could happen. Could parents, for example, of kids with food allergies set up school-wide uh, meetings or conference? What do you think might be a shift changer for this? You know, I think, it's, again, it's, it's a generational thing. And every 10 years or so, this epidemic is just, the numbers are changing so hard and fast. And, you know, 10 years ago, we were just seeing this massive uptick in the number of children with food allergies. Well, just this year in 2017, you know, there was a report from the insurance claim that had been filed. And now we're seeing a massive uptick in adults. And I think as that continues, as teachers and administrators and principals are suddenly diagnosed with food allergies that they didn't have five years ago, they're going to bring the awareness to the campus too. And so, um, 
again, it's like, you know, it's hard enough sometimes for a parent to realize that their child is being bullied if the child is internalizing. Well, so then if you're a parent of a child that doesn't have food allergies, that's probably not ever going to come up in a conversation, you know? And so you don't think to ask, you don't think to ask about something that you don't know. And so I think there are many conversations that probably just haven't been had. And I do think that at parent, at parent night, you know, the best thing a school can do is bring up bullying. And I think some schools, and we've seen schools who don't want to touch it because they're afraid that they'll get labeled somehow. But, you know, I, the statistics are that it's happening in every school. And I think the best thing you can do is talk about it and provide the resources, you know, literally state that there's zero tolerance for this. But by not talking about it, I think you sort of create um, a culture where this stuff can can breed. And so, you know, as as, as parent-teacher conferences happen, as, you know, as, as parents' nights happen, um, it's a great opportunity to, to talk about bullying and, you know, show how it can present in all of these ways, not just in the ways that we saw as kids with an awkward, you know, some awkward girl in a PE class that, you know, today with all these conditions, it can now present in all of these different ways. And I think the Burger King public service announcement was so powerful because what it showed was how few people were actually willing to stand up for someone who was being bullied. And I think it's because most people have been bullied and they don't want to stick their neck out or they don't want to get bullied again too. But I think if we can raise a generation of children to learn how to stand up for what is right, you know, that will do so much, I think, for so many parts of our society. And I do think like your little granddaughter, you see these kids who understand and they don't want to hurt their friends. And, you know, I think that um, I, I really just just hope that that is changing. You mentioned something earlier, Robin, that really struck a chord in me that was related to some of the research that came up for me around the um, book I wrote, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. And as I was getting into studying about the stress response system, uh, it really just hit home what a primitive survival system this is. And one of the big things that triggers us at one of our core, most fundamental levels is the need to fit in with our community, the need to fit into our peer group. And when we don't fit in, when we feel we don't fit in, when we're even afraid that we might not fit in, it sets off such incredible internal alarm bells and it can affect our cortisol, our sleep, our mood, our, our hormones, so many vulnerable systems that are actually still developing in kids. And this ability to have bullying essentially create that very exact primal fear, right? That we don't fit in, that we don't belong, I think is what drives that internal emotional response so hard. And I think that when kids see other kids being bullied, and we see this, we see this in all kinds of these adolescent or coming of age movies, right? Like there's a fight on the playground and one kid's getting beaten up and all the other kids are standing around saying, fight, fight, fight. It's like this mentality, this herd mentality. And I, you know, I can't agree with you more that even sometimes, I know for me, for example, for me, when I got bullied as a kid, it was a very particular time, like third grade-ish, and I was very academically achieving in my class in an environment where that was not the norm. 
And what would happen is I would get this letter from a particular kid in my class saying, I'm going to get you after school or worse, we're going to get you after school. But I had a few kids in my class who I'd been friends with since, you know, kindergarten who I'd show them the letter and they would say, we've got you. And they would walk me home from school. One girl lived in my, in my building and I'm 51 and I've known her since kindergarten or even before. And she still, you know, she follows me on Facebook. We still talk. And that person for me is such, so emblematic. And for me, you know, recently somebody was interviewing me and saying, well, why do you think you're an activist? Why do you think that you are so ready to stand up and, you know, have someone's back or, or talk about social injustice or health injustice? And I think for me, it was actually fundamentally the experience of being bullied and not wanting to ever see anyone else go through that, but also knowing what it means as a human being, what it meant for me as a human being to have other human beings say, you're safe. We've got you. That was like, that was the antidote to the fear. Right. And I think, you know, um, I mean, most, I I can't totally generalize here, but most of the strongest, most powerful people I know had some kind of acute vulnerability, you know, whether it's bullying or something else that, made them strong. And, you know, as they healed from it, they healed stronger than they were before. And, you know, I mean, for so many kids who go through bullying, for me, it was in middle school, but I remember the year following, we were in PE class and there was this skinny, really academic girl. She looked different. She was different, you know, and the, and she was absolutely just, it was predatory what was happening to her. And I remember It's the first time I remember being totally fearless. I just remember knowing the fear that would have been in her. And it was so tangible still to me because it had only happened the year prior that I just completely fearless went into that pack of girls and, and told them to stop. And I think, you know, there's so, there's so few times where people are actually called them out on something and they stopped because you know, they didn't want to be called out in class. They didn't want the coach to come over or say anything. And just as you remember the girl walking home, that girl's mother still to this day when she sees my mom will say something about it. Mm. And that woman now today is a revolutionary author in the field of tech and, and you know, was just revolutionary and shaking the conversation as the internet evolved. And she was fierce. And, you know, I think the challenge as we raise our kids is, I mean, it, it, it makes you so strong and it makes you really powerful and fierce. But the challenge is to make sure that it doesn't make you hard and it doesn't make you bitter. That you can be strong and powerful and love-fueled and not, not fierce and bitter. And I think, you know, that that's our challenge as parents as we navigate a lot of these different conditions with kids is to raise an empowered, positive person to, to really, you know, for our kids to know like the world isn't perfect. The world doesn't owe you anything. The world isn't always going to be kind. And how are you going to be okay with that? You know, what resources can we help build in our families so that our kids are okay and they come home and they feel safe and, you know, to sort of be there through these times when things get really intense and really hard. And I look at the food allergy epidemic and something that is slightly terrifying for me, um, not only for my own kids, my nephew has acute peanut allergy and and other children, you know, if they head into college, you think back on your college years and 
and the hazing and the fraternity life that can go on on campus. And to me, as this demographic and all of these children with food allergies hit college, the risk is so much further and so much wider than the cafeteria. It's, you know, in a fraternity, in a party, late night, you know, I think about all the places we used to go late night um, after we've all been out drinking, you know, in these fraternity houses and, and the maturity that's going to be required of kids at that level and the understanding in a hazing culture at that level that this is something that you can't, that there, there, there is no turning back from. And so um, I think that's going to be the next chapter of this conversation that we start to see as this group of kids heads off to college. Well, and you mentioned something really important, or many things, but one thing that uh, stands out right now in what you're saying about college and parties and fraternities is the absolute critical importance of a buddy system, because something like anaphylaxis can happen in, in seconds and be fatal in a minute. And you have a bunch of drunk kids hanging out and somebody's on the floor not breathing. Somebody might not know. you got to really have almost like your designated person who's staying sane and staying sober in those environment. And, you know, and, you know, also brought to mind too, Robin, something we didn't talk about, but that has gone hand in hand with the allergy epidemic and is insidious is early puberty in kids, particularly girls, making girls at younger and younger ages vulnerable to certain kinds of sexual bullying based on earlier development. That's another big kind of bullying that's happening. And, and it's similar yeah, to these it's- endemic health changes we're seeing in kids. Anything that makes a kid different, you know, and that happened when we were kids, we were in fourth grade. And I remember there was a girl in our class that that happened to, it was, it was, it was awful. And anything that makes a child different gives other children a weapon to use. And I think, you know, to really step back and say, so many kids now are dealing with different issues and conditions and diseases. And, you know, there's so much that's going on in our children today. And I think even as parents, you know, and especially with the parents that I work with, I mean, the parents are having a hard time wrapping their heads around it and, and realizing that, you know, what we thought motherhood was going to look like, it's not there anymore. You know, what we've got is this new reality for motherhood in the 21st century. And in a lot of cases, our own moms don't understand. And so, you know, more than ever, the buddy system needs to be, like you mentioned earlier, parent to parent and also kid to kid. And I think about like on these campuses, especially on college campuses, as these kids go off to school, there's so much that's put in place to try to prevent rape on campus. And whether it's, you know, lights or phones or things that are sort of stationed all over these campuses, um, the buddy system for that is critical. And I think the buddy system for college kids with food allergies is going to be critical too. And I, I, you know, I pray that at the sort of fraternity level, at the national level, they're having these conversations and they're, you know, they're really um, educating because I think that's the most powerful tool that we all have to protect the lives, to protect the lives of these children. Because you know, it's not just food allergies, but a diabetic kid going off to college. I mean, they're, they're, these are these are these conditions take minutes to completely derail life. Oh, I've um, seen taking care of so many type one diabetic kids in the emergency room with ketoacidosis because of drinking, partying, not eating. It's really an intense problem. You know, and I think, you know, I see, I share the food allergy, the food allergy parents in a lot of ways share a lot of the, um, 
same deep concerns that at any moment's notice they can lose a child as those type 1 diabetes parents do. And I think type 1 diabetes can be so misunderstood. And I, I hear those parents and I see them and I see the education they are fighting for and how they get labeled with the type 2 patients as, oh, it's just diet. You know, you, yeah. you're feeding your kids. And their hearts are absolutely breaking because, you know, they're up in the middle of the night, the monitors go off, the blood levels go off, and they're doing everything they can to keep their high school, you know, kid alive that's in the marching band, you know? And, I, you know, again, the terror of sending that kid off to college. I do know a lot of parents will just say, I just don't want my kid to go to school further away than an hour. They're just so terrified. And so I think this notion of helicopter parent and the sort of the stigma there yeah, in some cases, it's definitely over the top. But in some cases, you know, there's, there's this medical condition that the parents are helping a child whose brain hasn't fully developed, helping that child manage. And, and so I think be kind, you know, to be as kind as we can be, to be as compassionate as we can be, to understand that that parent is literally every single day fighting for and fearing for the loss of that child. And no one would choose that. And I think if anybody can take away anything, it's that no one would choose to have a child with cancer. Nobody would choose to have a child with food allergies or autism or diabetes. You wouldn't choose these things. And so to have kindness and compassion in the approach, to learn a lesson from the little preschoolers like your granddaughter. Robin, you mentioned that being a mom is not what it used to be. And I want to just thank you for being the mom that you are because you are you're such a, ro a role model to me and in the way you communicate the courage that you have the uh role you have taken on which i know demands a lot of you and your family so i want to thank you and i want to direct our our listeners to your website so if you can tell everyone the best way to reach you and your book the Unhealthy Truth, which remains such an important book for parents to read. And we'll put the links to, oddly, I thought I never thought I would say this, but we will put the link to the Burger King video uh, on this page and we'll put the no appetite for bullying. But tell, tell listeners how they can find you. So definitely through my website, robinobrien.com. And then also on Facebook, Robin O'Brien USA, that community there, the Facebook community is so powerful. And I treat that public page as if it is my living room. That's what and I so say too. <laughs> I love it. Stations, the conversations are respectful. You know, just like I don't want the kids yelling or cursing or, you know, shouting off defensive remarks. It's the same on that Facebook page. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to agree. And I've had people say, I can't believe you're allowing that comment. Well, I'm, I'm, I want the dialogue. You know, I want to hear the dissent in a respectful way. And I want to understand where people are on certain issues. It has been instrumental because when we exposed and worked on the Epigate story last year and really talked about the skyrocketing price of drugs, you know, here I was talking about healthy food and why it was so important. And I realized that these parents all knew that they were having to make a choice between literally a life-saving medication like insulin or the pumps or the epinephrine and life-saving food. And to me, that, that choice, that conflict is brutal. And it gave me such a better understanding and so much more compassion for where we are as a country with the choices that we have to make given all of the conditions that we're managing in our families. And it was because of just hundreds of thousands of comments that people shared on the Facebook page 
that I realized, you know, these conditions, not just food allergies, but type 1 diabetes, they, they break our heart. And, you know, in that, I do believe your heart has to break to make room for everything and everyone that's supposed to fit inside. And so at Robin O'Brien USA on that Facebook page, those conversations are very dear to me. And I know that the community has found a lot of support in there too. Robin, thank you for being a woman who is strong, fierce, powerful, and who stays soft and has an open heart. Thank you so much for taking time to join me today and share your story and your knowledge and your wisdom with my tribe here over on Natural MD Radio. Well, Aviva, always so good. I just wish we lived closer. I know. That would be nice. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to talking to you next time. You too. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.